You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, John Gordon. It's November, everybody. Duck seasons, goose seasons, rolling all over the countryside. We're going to open up down here in Arkansas soon. Uh, Tennessee, Mississippi, the last of the seasons to open. Everybody else is pretty well going at this point. And my subject and my guest today, we're going to talk about something that is on everybody's mind at this point in time, and that's, and that's duck calling. And specifically, you know, what calls to use, when to use them, how you get great at it, how you become better at it. We're just going to really dive into all these different subjects. And my guest today is 2009 World Duck Calling Champion, Mike Anderson. Mike, welcome to the DU Podcast. Hey, what's up, Gordo? How are you, man? Man, I'm awesome, dude. Well, folks, uh, we'll, uh, you'll be able to see this on DU Nation where we hunted with Mike. Uh, in, in his uh, stomping grounds, really on the Missouri River, and it was a great time. That's right. Uh, thanks for having us, Mike. 
Hey, man, thanks for coming. Yeah, it was. It, it was it was one of those special times where uh, the birds kind of show up. You know, we zigged and we should have zagged here and there, but, man, we still got to see a pretty good show, that's for sure. Yeah, it really was. We, we hit the migration right. That big front had hit North Dakota, and those birds were spilling out in big numbers, and it uh, it really it was, was really a pretty cool deal to see all that. You know, the migration is an incredible thing anyway, and to be in the middle of it is really special. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Anytime you see you see uh, a snow in the forecast in North Dakota, you know, Montana, and in, in Canada, it's like uh, rally the troops, man, fill up the gas tanks, and, and hop on the trucks and, right. and head to the river. It, it was worth the trip, man. It was it was one of those days where uh, they show up overnight, and you're, you're driving through the main river channel, and you're running snow geese and, and and ducks out of the main river channel. That's right. We got that all on film too. It, it was just there was a tremendous amount of birds right there in the middle of the river, which are not normally there unless they've just gotten there. And so that was mm-hmm. really some pretty mm-hmm. cool footage. Uh, Mike, let's go back in time a little bit. Yes, sir. You know, you're from you're from Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, how how did you really get started uh, in in waterfowl hunting? Well, waterfowl hunting. It was definitely a family thing uh, for me, and we 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 hunted everything. And I always use the analogy that my dad was a, a deer hunter that duck hunted, and uh, we started around eight years old. But but really, you know, got me hooked is I, I had an uncle that moved to Texas in uh, the early '80s, like '81, '82, somewhere around there. And what he used to do is buy me and my cousin DU Greenwing memberships, and then he would come back out from Texas and tell me all stories about the ducks that he would shoot down there, and he would just feel the fire of, of me being a, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old up here in Minnesota shooting a, a, a ring neck and a, and a wood duck kind of deal. And, and just really, you know, drove the passion for me to not only, you know, learn how to blow a duck call, but, but to hunt more and, and want to hunt more and want to hunt ducks in a, in a real big way. I got you. I got transplanted in Texas in that same time frame, early eighties. And those, that was the glory days of the 10 point duck right in Texas. Cause we weren't hunting mallards. I, I had moved from Mississippi where, you know, it was, you, yeah, that's all you ever saw mallards, maybe an occasional wood duck. Right. And now all of a sudden I'm in this wonderland where the pintails are 10 points yeah. and, and people are, are, are bringing out straps of 70, 80 drakes out of the marshes and it seems like you know blasphemy yeah. now man but those <laughs> that was the glory days of the pintail populations but even, uh, even then all the ducks just about were tens they you know, gadwall widgeon teal they were all ten it was crazy he, he would come back up and he would visit at least once or twice a year and he'd bring up polaroids of pictures that he'd be sitting there and then me being a little guy that hunted up in northern minnesota like i couldn't even wrap my head around what what he got to do and what he got to see and it just man it just fueled the fire for where i'm at today and and the love and desire that i have for it is is direct you know uh, uh, a direct result of of him kind of stoking those flames gotcha i gotcha so so you're a kid coming up and of course every kid that i know or knew you wanted to be proficient at duck calling. I mean, that's the big deal, right? You think, man, if I can just learn how to call, they're just going to fall from the sky. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, work like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But you think no. that, you know, and, and, yeah. it, and, it, and it, it, it does make a difference, especially with mallards. Let's face it. I mean, they're, they're the ones you're really trying to work with. Uh, we were talking about gadwalls earlier. I'm not sure they can be called with anything. Um, they, they, they like to ignore everything. <laughs> we call them a lot of things. Yeah, yeah you call yeah, them yeah. a lot of things. That's right. But uh, the old gad, <laughs> my friend. Anyway. Yeah, so, you know, that, that fueled the fire. And then and then sometime in the 90s, uh, me and my dad, we, we got a lease in western Minnesota. And it was around the time of our, our the spinners first got into it. And, and we went out there. And, and that's the first time that I can remember really killing mallards in a good way. 
And it was like a kind of like an aha moment. Like this is what I want to do and, and, and what I, who I want to be. And then I, I think around 99 or 2000, I went to game fair and uh, watched a calling contest there and said, you know, Hey, I can do that. And uh, that's kind of where it started. Obviously started uh, you on a path that uh, you really, you know, took to all the way. I mean, if you're becoming a champion in anything, it, it takes tremendous amount of dedication. I mean, how long did it really take you before you knew you could go into a contest and win? Man, that's a loaded question. And, and, and it's, it's I, I could tell you this, you know, in 99, I went and watched a contest and I went to a store we had up here called Gander Mountain. And they used to have a little glass call case. And inside that glass call case, there was expensive calls. And there was one in there that was $130. And it happened to be an RNT original. And I, I bought it saying, you know, well, that must be good. It's 130 bucks. And uh, I bought that and I started practicing on that. And then I ordered a VHS of the, uh, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it. I think it's 2000, it's 2001 World's Championship. Uh, me and a buddy of mine ordered that VHS and we wore that sucker out back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and we used to record ourselves. And, you know, we got to a point where we thought we were pretty good and, and started entering our first contest and figured out we were not that good. And uh, then just, you know, kind of got back to the drawing board and worked hard, worked hard. And, and, you know, honestly, from, you know, 2000 to, gosh, I'd say like, 2007 2008 if, if i were to have an hour meter for how much time you know i put in to practicing my call getting better at my call being proficient with my call i i, I would honestly be almost embarrassed to admit to what that hour meter would be but I, I bet if you talk to anyone who has had any sort of success in the calling contest world um, whether you're a world champion or just a, a, a proficient uh, contest caller, there's a point in time where all of us put in an amount of work that is uh, hard to describe. Yeah, the, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000-hour deal, right? Yeah. Well, that's what it takes yeah. to become yeah, proficient or really good at anything. It, it's a deal that you get out of it what you put into it. You know, if you know, it, it, some people call it a talent, and, and I think it's a little bit of a talent. I was a band geek growing up, but, but I, I think it's more of a learned skill than it is a talent. If, if you want to be good at, at operating a duck call, you can. You just got to put in the sacrifice and the time and, and, and really get after it. Exactly. You brought up a really good point. You had to buy a VHS tape. And yeah. I don't think people that, yeah. you know, that, are, that are from the younger generation understand that how little on calling was available then you had some records or cassettes you could listen to you had a maybe had a, had a tape you know the, of a calling contest where now they just go on youtube and you just man you just type in anything and pop it up and you can just sit there and follow along and learn it all man it, it, it's crazy to think the evolution that happened in contest calling and in general like in, in life in general but contest calling when i first started i had to get in my truck fill it up with gas drive to peoria knowing i was going to get my butt kicked Donate my 50 bucks, but it was the only place I could go listen to a Jim Ronquest or a Bernie Boyle or or any of those guys, you know. And then I go to Kansas City and, and go to all these regionals, and everybody did. You know, we would have, you know, what what I call the glory years of contest calling would be the 2000s. It was, you know, YouTube was a thing, but it wasn't a thing yet. And you, you'd go to Kansas City, and there'd be four regionals in KC, and there'd be 40, 50 guys in every regional. And, and you go to Peoria, Illinois, you, you, you go to all these places and it was, you know, Burlington, Iowa, Arkansas, all that. And, and there's always 40, 50 guys. It was always highly competitive. It was a lot of fun back then. 
Um, I felt like, you know, I, I've kind of gotten back into it here recently and, and, and still some of the same guys are into it and, and the young guys are good guys, but it's a different feel back then. It was, uh, you know, these were our friends. This, this is who we all hung out with for, for those, those 10, 15 years. And, and it was awesome. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. And I, and I think that as a direct result of YouTube, you know, instead of having to go put, fill up the truck and drive to these contests and go watch these things, you know, if I'm 20 years old, I go on YouTube and I record myself and I can self-evaluate. I can say, well, I'm not ready to compete yet. I'm not going to spend the money on gas. And and I think that's where our, our current status is at. Yeah, and it's a little sad because that's where you develop real camaraderie with the guys. It was always the same guys on the circuit, yeah. you know, at every contest. And you really got relationships with those folks. And once again, like you said, it's just really missing now. Yeah, it's, it, there's a disconnect. You know, some of my closest friends in this world live a thousand miles away. And I can I can attribute that to that to a duck call, and uh, I wouldn't trade those times in for you know for anything. And I feel I feel really bad for the young kids in, in a way, not bad I should say for the young kids that are into it like we were that don't get to experience like we did. And and you know it's probably the same old guy thing my parents said you know about things too. You know when they look at the young people, they look at you know they didn't agree with it or didn't like it as much. So I might be just the crotchety old guy, but uh, I I just feel like it's different. It is, it is. And uh, here here's a pretty specific question for you. Say this is 2009, you know, and you're waking up in the morning. It's the you know you're stuck guard. And what's it like? What do you, what would you do to prepare yourself physically and mentally to go out there and compete at the highest level? So physically, it would be practice. And at that time, I was kind of at the the point to where my practice was more maintenance. Um, I knew what I was going wanted to do. I knew how to do it. I just had to prepare myself to have the wind and strength built up. And then the mental side. So what I would do back then is, is for the you know six to eight weeks leading up to the contest, I would pick up my call. I would blow three routines. If I blew all three clean, I put it down and left it alone. And then mentally how I prepared, you know, I'm a baseball coach, a little bit like baseball. It's kind of a, uh, I always say with baseball, if you believe you can, you will. And when it came to blowing a duck call, it's kind of the same thing. Now it's a beauty contest, not a, not a, not a race or a measured thing. So it's like, I can, I can't line up next to you, John, and we can't race to the end of this road and, and beat each other. You know, duck calling's a little bit different, but mentally I prepared myself in that way where I felt confident what I was going to do. I was going to get up on stage and do what I had practiced and was prepared to do. Well, that's huge. That just, yeah, that's mental preparation. I think for anything, the, the, the belief in yourself that you can do it is everything without that. It's just never going to happen. And I think you think that's what's really separates the guys who've been, you know, the top level champions from, from everybody else. I think that's a part of it. I, I think it's a big part of it. I also think, you know, it, it, it's the time they put in combined with the confidence that they gain combined with the tool that they get in their hand. You know, back, back when I was really getting after it, I had a I had a stretch where I had a hard time blowing a routine clean. Uh, in particular, I remember like 2006, 2007, I went to like 13 different contests, had a lead in 12 of them and squawked out in every one of them and, and never even qualified. And then what I did is in the January of 2009, I, I took a hunting trip to Arkansas just to work with Butch Richmond and he took time and built me a call that fit me. Um, and, 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 you know, I think it's, I think it goes two ways with that. I think it truly fit me, but it also fit me 
and made me confident, if that makes sense. Like it, it, it got me confident with the tool that I had in my hand to where I could just go out and it was like a broken record. I just never, or I rarely would make a mistake and, and just had everything that I needed in it kind of deal. That's excellent. It's interesting too, how I, I guess judges play a huge part in this sometimes because everybody's, you know, I, they have to know who's blowing the call sometimes, I would think. They've heard it so many times, right? Yeah. You know, and they have a preference for what they're listening for. Because, you know, you see some really young champions, guy like Trey Crawford. I mean, he was he, a 19-year-old yeah. kid. Correct. Uh, and you got, like, Buck Gardner. I think it took him, like, you know, 12 tries, you know, before he ever won. So I think it's just perseverance has got to be a big part of being a champion as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and they're willing to, to, you know, I hate using this analogy because – it's not necessarily a grind, but being willing to grind through it and understand that you're, you're going to show up and, and you're going to get cut. You're not going to make third round. And the next next one, you could do the same thing and and, and win the dang thing. And, and I finally got to a point where I, I tried to structure my routine to where it was good enough where they couldn't deny me at least a decent score. Um, I might not win, but I, I tried to get it to a point um, where they couldn't deny me a decent score score and I, and I think ultimately if you really want to really nerd out when it comes to the scoring system and, and calling contests the goal shouldn't be to ever be everybody's favorite but the guys that really win with that panel of five judges can can you know sing a song with your call that that becomes everybody's second favorite and and everyone gives you a above average score that's it I mean and you're and you're spending the money on on entry fees and gasoline and everything else and I'm sure a lot of guys who really could have been somebody in it got dissuaded by it and you just got to push through it like I said it's a grind it, yeah totally you have to push through it and I haven't always pushed through it you know I, I took some time away for for various reasons um you know in the in the 2010s mostly to coach baseball but um yeah you have to you just got to keep trucking, man. You got to fill that gas, the gas tank of your truck back up and drive to the next one. You mentioned Butch Richenbach. Do you think he's the guy who created more world champions than, than anybody else with his with his advice, with his tutelage? In my time, there's no question. Like, uh, I owe my big trophy to him. Now, you know, I, I will say this with Butch. It, I, he wasn't he wasn't like the the teach he didn't teach me from scratch and 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 teach me how to operate a duck call or this or that but he just had a way about himself that would get you in line and, and, and a way about himself that he could get a call tuned in a way that you just felt like it was what you needed and and if you look back at all the names the john stevens the trey crawford's the the jim ronquest the the, the brent easley's the jody nickham's you know so many different guys that Brad Allen's that yeah, right. uh, Butch 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 had a hand in. You know, it, it's one of them deals. It's weird while you're in the process of it. Like I love the man um, to death, and he was really, really, really good to me and helped me a lot. And and you didn't realize it necessarily while he was doing it, if that makes any sense. Um, but when I look back at it, I would not be a world champion if not for Butch Richenback. I think a lot of guys just said, folks, for those of you who don't know, Butch Richenback was the the founder of Rich and Tone Calls, uh, a real Arkansas legend, uh, a, a disciple of of Chick Major, uh, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. looking at this uh, box in here that I'm sure be pretty much envy of any call collector. We've got an you know an original box, a display box full of unopened Dixie Mallard calls, retail display box. Oh, right. I don't know what that thing's worth, but uh, it, it's pretty cool to have it here in the podcast studio. 
Man, I tell you what, there's 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 some Facebook sites that would tell you exactly what that <laughs> thing is worth. <laughs> I'm not even sure where they came from. I'm sure somebody probably donated them to us years ago, you know. And right. uh, you know, Chick, another guy, and Chick was so great with kids. You know, the Chick and Sophie Major uh, scholarships right. and all that. I mean, you know, people just really the calling world has been has been good to a lot of people over the years. It's a, it's been it's a really unique deal. It is, you know, and and I'm I'm from up north. You know, I'm not from Arkansas, but. Obviously, but if if you look at the history of duck call making and duck calling, man, Arkansas, in particular Stuttgart in that area, it is the epicenter. There are so many big names and, and call makers and callers that have come, you know, within seventy miles of that town. It's just incredible, you know that that that's who and what duck calling is. And it makes perfect sense of why that was the real yeah, epicenter totally. of mallard hunting for so long. Uh, was, was right there in, in, in the Stuttgart area. You had people like Slick McCollum and Marion McCollum of Max Prairie Wings and all these people who really mm-hmm. created a, a, a real culture of duck calling, duck hunting yeah. in that area. So right. I think that really spawned some of the great callers in the past, for sure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, I think when, when if we fast forward, you know, another 20 years, I think we'll look at Jim and John in, in, in the same through the same lens as we do those names that you just said, you know, I, I can, I can attribute a lot of my, you know, calling practice and improvement to those, those CDs they made. I don't know what year it was, but they, they had a set of three CDs foundations for success. And I forget what the other two were called, but called, but I know when, when you sit and you listen to guys blow duck calls right now, and, and you listen to guys blow single cuts and this and that, it sounds exactly like Jim and John did in that CD set that they made 25 years ago that I think a lot of us learn how to operate a duck call on. It's true. I remember the first time I heard John blow a call, and that, I think it was on a whistling wing video from from back in the 90s, and thinking to myself, said, my God, if I could ever learn how to call like that, it, it would be amazing because his control is just it's astounding. I, I still listen to his feed call and think the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's kind of one of them little kid things. When I grow up, I want to blow a feed call like John Stevens. Yeah, it was great. I've, I've had John on the podcast in the past. We we did a DU Nation film at Callapalooza uh, this past summer. That was a really cool event. We got to really see uh, duck calling at its finest and duck call craftsmanship at its finest. And uh, he's got a very cool shop. For anybody who hasn't been to the Rich and Tone uh, shop there in Stuttgart, uh, you know, take a little pilgrimage and check it out. It's very cool. It's very cool. They, they've made it they've made it into an event you know the shop isn't isn't what it was now i have a i have a partial bias i love the new shop i love the changes that that they've made i mean they've made it like i said into an event but the 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 shop from 15 years ago um on world's weekend are some of my greatest memories i i really enjoyed uh you know after the world's contest when we go down to the shop and 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 hang out there yeah, that was so awesome. So awesome. Yeah. And I, I wish time. I wish at the time. Yeah, super special. And I wish at the time, if I could rewind that, I would I would I would have made a point to tell John and Angie how much that meant to all of us. Cause I don't think, you know, at the time being, you know, all of us at, at that time I can say we were the entitled 20 year olds, but being the uh twenty year old age group, I, I don't think we necessarily did a good enough job letting them know how big of a deal and how much that meant to us. That was a, a really cool place to be at. Yeah, yeah. And I know John enjoyed every minute of it as well, being, you know, three time world champion, champion of champions. Oh yeah. I mean he he did it all and, and just what a super guy too. I mean, just a really kind soul. Yeah, for sure. All right everybody, we're gonna take a little break on the DU podcast and we'll be right back with more from Mike Anderson.
Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. My guest today, 2009 World Duck Calling Champion, Mike Anderson. We've been call, talking about contest calling and what it takes, really, to be a champion. Uh, let, let's talk about the calls for a second, Mike. Yes, sir. Let's talk about contest calls first. It, what do you think, in your opinion, makes a great contest call? Is it volume? Is it clarity? What do you, what do you think? Whew, man, that's a, that's a, that's a question. We could it? sit down... <laughs> We, we could sit down and, 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 and crack some bush lights and really talk at <laughs> length about that. But uh, if, I, if I look at it through my lens, what I, what I like, I think something that has enough volume but then still has enough bottom end to sound like a duck that you would be comfortable hunting with it. Um, I would say the, the trend has steered a little bit away from that. But if you can get a call that has enough volume but still allows you to sound like a duck on the bottom end and and gives you enough range to do what you want to do. That's what I look for. And that's the same thing, I think, in a hunting call too, right? At least for me, it is. Yeah, 100%. 100% you know, the, the same rules apply. They, honestly, they do apply because, you know, a hail call, you know, doesn't sound like a duck. But, but I will say this. I still say this. And, you know, my buddy Sean Stahl used to always say this. And, and I plagiarize him here and there. But, like, when we're operating a call. We're not always trying to sound like a duck. You know, we're trying to trigger a reaction. You right. know, we're right. either, you know, trying, trying to get them to hear us from when they're way out or, or, or uh, sometimes, you know, if, if they're starting to bank wide and pitch in, you know, downwind or, or somewhere left or right that we don't want them to, we might bark at them real hard just to trigger that reaction. I think the same thing, you know, you want in a contest call, you want something that can bark and something that can get loud, you know, get good tone on top. 
but then uh, you can finish them too. And uh, I just think that sound uh, resonates on stage. Exactly. And it's too for hunting. We talked about this at length as well that I like loud calls. You like loud calls. You can't make a, a softer call loud, but you can get softer with a loud call. And I think people really Absolutely. need to focus on trying to, to really be able to control their airflow to do that. 100%. You know, like Jimbo kind of uh, blew up the Mondo a little bit, you know, kind of really, you know, expanded uh, duck call making horizons beyond the little niche of the old just in Arkansas by creating the Mondo. And, and I hunt in marshes and I hunt on big water. And I, I blow a Mondo as much as I do a, a small J-frame call because exactly like you said, you, you, you can blow a loud call quiet. You can't blow a quiet call loud. And, and uh, those cut-down style calls just have that bark that can trigger that reaction and can get out there too. That's right. I, I interviewed Jimbo for an article I wrote for Greenhead Magazine on cut-down calls years ago. And the Mondo had just really come out. At that point, mm-hmm. he talked about he thought what he really thought separated the cut down style call from a J frame was the frequency level that you could really get that bass yeah. note that would carry to a yeah. duck's ears a lot farther, and it, and it makes a lot of yeah. sense. You you can really feel and hear bass like in a stereo system a lot more than treble. Right. You can be 20, 30 feet outside the vehicle and still feel that bass pumping. Yeah, correct, correct. Agreed, I, I could not agree with that more. And, and a lot of the times, too, when you duck hunt, and, and depending on your weather, but let's say you've got a 15-mile-an-hour wind, and let's say your ducks are 500 yards away, or whatever the measurement is. Well, if you add a 15-mile-an-hour wind to a duck uh, flapping its wings, the odds of him hearing you with a regular timber-style call are kind of slim. So sometimes you need to bark at them in that base, like Jimbo describes. I, I just believe in it. In fact, last year, last year I was down there hunting with him at his camp, and there's a couple different places you can hunt there. We we had a hole on the uh, tree line on the edge of a rice field, and he was hunting a, a tree line hole in a slough. And he was I don't know if I put a put a measurement on, it, but let's say a quarter mile away, and he was blowing his mondo, and at that distance, it actually sounded like a mallard hen to me from that distance, um, the way that that sound carried and traveled. And, and I, I'm, I would not say like, if I stand next to a guy that hits a lick on a, on a Mondo or a cut down style, I don't necessarily resonate that to an actual mallard hen. You know, I think it, when I'm standing right next to it, it doesn't have that same sound. But when I was that far away, it sounded exactly like a mallard hen. And that's why it works. I've seen so many right. mallard drakes, especially single ones cruising by, not, not, Respond at all to a J frame. You hit them with that bark on that Mondo, and man, all of a sudden, boom, they wheel around because they yep. heard it. They felt it, and, and right. they just didn't feel the J frame. And I guess explain J frame call versus cut down I, for people who really don't know. I mean, the J frame is like the standard Arkansas style call, and then what they did with the old calls, you know, they cut them down and, and made them yeah. louder. Um, so explain that for a little bit to the, to the audience there, Mike. In, in layman's terms, a, a traditional J-frame style call, when you hold the insert up, and I'm holding one in my hand right now, when you hold the insert up, it is shaped like a J, and I, I'm not going to be able to tell the length of it, but essentially the reed is shorter and the, tr- the tone board is traditional. Now, a cut-down call, um, when you hold the insert in your hand, it's still shaped like a J, but what they, the old guys, the original guys that kind of did this first on the olds, in southern Arkansas, is they would they would take that insert and they would cut it off at the end. And then when you look at a cut down style call, the reed is a lot longer. Which you know I, I am not uh, uh, I'm not as proficient when it comes to call making as as guys that do it. But this is how I I think of it in my head. Think of your reed 
as an RPM. Okay, you know, a, a J frame calls the RPM on that the the read goes up and down at a faster, smoother rate, whereas the the uh, cut down call is longer and has a has a slower RPM rate creating that base, if that makes sense. And that just translates into a lower frequency on the cut down, which carries farther in the air. And that's that's the main difference, folks. You know, you just got to realize that that's why the cut down has become such a staple now uh, in the calling world. And a lot of thanks to Jimbo for for really creating it commercially. Yeah, yeah, dude, totally. I mean, he, uh, you know, obviously he, he'll never take credit for this because it's just the way that he is. But, you know, if you really look at it, you know, and I, and I can't speak for Arntia or for John, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I have been told that once after the first year of the Mondo, every year since then, the number one selling, you know, call maker was a cut down Mondo. That, 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 that says it in, in itself. And I know there's other, other versions like a, a, a JJ Lairs, which I don't use, but, but I've blown them. Um, they have a different method of getting to there. And, and, and I, I, I'll butcher the science, but they, they've got an insert and has a different type of read, but they, they kind of play with that same type of frequency and they get there in their, their own way too. Yeah. For those that are not really familiar with JJ Lairs, that he's a Western guy. So that's a lot of the Western folks really, that's what they use is JJ's. Yeah. And yep. it's a calling is kind of cool too. And calls because people are, they're regional with them. You know, they like to use a lot of the stuff that, that is available in their region and their area so that that's a cool part of it as well. Yeah, it, it's so cool, man. And the older the older that I get, the more I appreciate some of that and that, and that side of it. Where you know years ago I might not have as much, and I'm a little bit more fascinated with it, you know. And and you probably, you know, you've probably gone through the same thing. I think of all the different calls that I've had over the years that I've either sold or given away or or lost or something like that. But that I would just I would love to have back. Right now, yeah, me, me too. I, I thought about that the other day. I, you know, when I moved to Texas as a kid, the the big call mm-hmm. and still a big call in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and all over the place really is the old you know cowboy Fernandez calls. Mm-hmm. You know that that he made and actually won the world championship in 1959. I believe with that with that call. You know the uh, sure shot calls and and. I have no idea where my original sure shot is that I got when I was a kid. And man, I would really love to have it. Yeah, 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 no doubt. I had an old, old Soderman 66 that uh, my dad gave me in, I don't know what year, probably sometime in the late 80s, early 90s. And then I'd love to have it. And then in the, in the, in the early 2000s, when I was getting into contest calling, like all the daisy cutters and stuff like that, I can remember I, I had two original daisy cutters that had the clear barrel and the black insert with skull and crossbones that I don't know, John only made like 50 of them or whatever it was. And I gave them to kids one time when I was doing the uh, youth event. And now I've heard that those things are selling for like $4,000 on, <laughs> on, uh, yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> uh, that, that's a whole nother world too. And I learned a lot about it at Callpalooza, the call collector. Yeah. I mean, guys, man, guys were showing me pictures of their call rooms that were just like, my Lord, so elaborate. And they had these cases built into the walls and just, they had thousands of calls. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I like calls, but man, not that much. Right, right, (laughs) right, right. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Like I've got, so I've got on my lander, I've got a daisy cutter that I've had on there since, I don't know, like 2004, 2005, maybe 2003. And I had a guy one time, he's like, oh, you hunt with that? And I'm like, why wouldn't I? He's like, that sounds like, that's a, that's a, this scroll or that scroll. I don't, I'm not even <laughs> sure what scroll it is. It's like a full scroll something or other. And he's like, man, you could sell that for like 700 bucks. And I'm like, 
What? Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk, there's nerds and everything, right? You got the call nerds. They know the specific yeah. little differences on the barrels and the inserts that make calls more collectible. And I just, yeah, like I said, I've been blowing the same daisy cutter I've had two for years, and I, I wouldn't know what style that is or, you know, if I had, if you put a gun to my head. Right, right. In, in a way, it's better not to know is kind <laughs> of right. the, the way Better I look not to know you got a valuable day. call, you know. Right, right. Now, now let me tell you, if it, it creeps up above a thousand bucks, someone please <laughs> let me know. Uh, it's for every, every Everything, yeah, that's right, man. You know, I, 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 everyone asks me, someone will ask me like, you know, hey, do you like your fishing boat? Are you selling it? And I'm like, hey, man, everything at my house, except for my kids and my wife is for sale. <laughs> if you're willing to pay me the right price for it, I will gladly sell it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Calls have come a tremendously long way, but there, there's, you know, the old metal reed style calls that were really popular, like places yeah. like Real Foot Lake to, right. you know, the really development of plastics to acrylic calls. And the acrylics have really been the the elite calls of the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, just because, right. I mean, they're a lot more stable than wood. But I love a wood call too, man. I mean, there's just something that, you know, just something beautiful. Just like, a, you know, I still shoot a lot of wood stock, you know, blue steel walnut guns. You know, it just, sure. I, it just, sure. just it's a little more romantic, I think, to have a wood call. Yeah, yeah totally. My, my, uh, I, I've got an old Ithaca Model 37 that I, that I hunt every once in a while, hunt with every once in a while. And uh, it's a wood stock and it, it's just pretty. There's just something about it that yeah, I like better. That, that you synthetic know? stock camo gun, man, just does have, just, it's it got no romance, you know? It just doesn't have any character no. to it. <laughs> it. It's a tool, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a push ball, it's a decoy retriever, <laughs> and it'll shoot ducks. I got, I've got an old metal recall that, you know, my uh, uncle's, uh, foundation guy. My uncle was, you know, a real estate developer, home builder, and a uh, guy named Dick Reed. And Dick, um, Mississippi, and oh, I forgot he was another guy that taught him about how to make those calls, and I've still got it. And it's just one of my most prized possessions. I don't hunt with it. It's in my office in a display case because it's just, it means a lot to me. But it's a, you know, it's a real loud call, and it will turn ducks at a long way. I've I've seen it, I think, once again. I think it's because it's got a low frequency, and uh, it, it, it really has that sound they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, the same rules apply. You know, we, we, we haven't, you know, especially in my time, uh, we haven't exactly re reinvented the wheel, but I, but I would say what we have done is refined the wheel and, and maybe put some better bearings and a bigger engine in it. Um, the, the, what works, what ducks react to has not changed. In fact, right now there's a, there's a, pretty big comeback of the ensigns. Yeah, well, the new ownership, and they really have uh, developed, uh, you know, that style call in a modern platform mm -hmm. where, it, you know, yeah. like I said, I was talking about before, but Cowboy Fernandez developed that call back in the 1950s, and they've right. really taken it to a modern-day level now, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure they're doing well with it. Yeah, you know, uh, a buddy of mine came and hunted with me, you know, I think a weekend or two weekends before you, and he brought one with him, and we messed around with it, and... and Man, it still has that same bass and that same good sound, and it sounds good. Yeah, that you know, I, I haven't I haven't used one of the new ones. I really, you know, I, like I need an excuse to spend money on duck hunting stuff. <laughs> I may set to buy one to see what it's like. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm a sucker for something new. Oh, absolutely, man. You know what? It's it, it's half of the fun. Shoot, for me, a lot of times it's all the fun because I think about duck hunting and, and stuff 365 days a year, right? And so it never right, it never stops. Right. And I'm always like, man, I need to get this, that, and the other. And that's pretty cool. And and that's something to go. You know, there's been a lot of big time 
call makers over the years. Guys like Eli Haydell, you're talking about musicians, right? I mean, his family oh, yeah. big time musicians, and they really developed their their love for calls and calling from from a background in in musicianship. And I think you know Eli was a big sax player, and so I think that's a big part of their legacy and what he really brought to the calling table. Those old DR eighty five still work pretty good. Oh man, yeah, yeah, and they still have that sound, and they they still have that same model, and and, and it then ducks still react the same way to it. It uh, they sound like a duck, man. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Sounds like a duck. All right, we'll switch gears again a little bit on you because. We did something that I don't do a lot of, is we hunt out of boats. And your boat setup was one of the cooler setups I've ever hunted out of. And that's because oh, you man. love to hunt rivers, right? And that's where, right. where did that that's really right. start? When did you really become a guy that, man, you look at a river and you just see ducks falling out of the sky? Man, you know, that started, honestly, I'm, I'm going to date back. I'm going to say it was taken volume two or three when, when Barney Califf hunted with Buck Gardner um, on the Missouri River. When I watched that, my eyes were, you know, living up here. See, we don't live, you know, where I directly live, you know, we'll shoot, we'll shoot mallards and we'll have good mallard days. But if we go and shoot two or three limits of mallards, we may have seen a hundred ducks, hundred mallards that day. Um, so we don't see stuff like that. I'm like, man, that's cool. So uh, I built a, a little 12 foot V hull and, and put a blind on it and, and, and kind of started that. And then uh, a good friend of mine that, that you know too, you knew too, bless his heart, Wayne Salem. Got old Wayne, yeah. Yeah, man. That, you know, there's a duck hunter. Then there's Wayne. Then there's Wayne. Every duck hunter is looking up to Wayne. Yep. <laughs> and it's it's amazing when you go to places and you bring up his name. How many people uh, uh, north to south know who that man is or man was? But so he, he uh, we started with mud motor rigs and pop up lines, and and we have slowly, you know, wanted, you know, we used to think before that hey, we needed a mud motor, we needed a mud motor to get here and here and here, and we started hunting more and saying, well, you know, we're cold, we don't grow as fast, and we're not, you know, cutting through that much mud. So I finally uh, kind of bit the bullet and and kind of went all in and and, and bought a a twenty seventy two. It's a tracker model, 2008, and just started to kind of hack away on it this last uh, summer and put a 115 four-stroke on it. Uh, learned how to weld aluminum. Like we, we, I was joking with you, when we were in the boat. You can you can sit in the boat and, and look at the blind and see where I started the build to where I finished it because I, I my my welding skills got a lot better <laughs> as uh, evolution as I, of your as I of Mike's welding skills. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can see it, folks, on, on the blind there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our our theory with it, why, why we guys have been hunting hunting with them for 20, 30, probably forever, you know, but that we have seen for 20, 30 years. But our theory was one we want to stay warm two we want to stay safe and and three i think i think the boats hide better than those pop-up blinds you you, you get a, a completely hard side 100 percent agreement on that because once you got back in those fragmites cut some fragmites put it in there and uh your yours is covered in tumbleweeds am i correct that's the outside cover yeah yes sir i had a, i have a base layer of aluminum sheeting and then i put a base layer of blind grass camo on it and then outside of that, I took tumbleweeds and, and really coated it with tumbleweeds and just to give it that that 3D effect. And, and my, my wife always it likes to use the analogy, it looks like a chia pet. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> it does, exactly. And then what we do when we hunt, wherever we're hunting, like we hunted in frags, fragmites that day, we just take a hedge trimmer out, cut fragmites, stick it in there, stick it in the tumbleweed, 
and and get covered up you know get get some shadows going over the hunting holes and and uh fire up the blackstone and cook some food and shoot some ducks yeah that's a really nice rig folks and once again you can see it all on du nation on youtube it sounded like an advertisement right there it kind of did it did. I'm trying did. to get more viewers. That's Mike. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, you're doing a great job, man. <laughs> I can't wait to see the the uh, drone footage. Oh yeah, the drone. Of how I'll, it looks from the duck's perspective. I, I always love it too. You know, because I don't know. You know, Zach's seeing it on his phone. But I don't know what mm-hmm. it looks like until it comes, you know, he shows it to me later. And I'm always amazed by the things you can see and the things you can see in the distance yeah. that you don't, that you're looking from a bird's eye view. That's been such a huge development in video over the last, because before that, all you had, you had to have a plane or a helicopter to get that perspective. Right. And now you get it every video, run the drone up. And, you know, he was running that drone right there with us running down the river too. And that's got to be really cool. Yeah. It's got to be super cool. Yeah, man. It was a, uh, it was a pleasure getting you guys out there. And, and, and I just love hunting out of that boat. It's funny every time I, I i look for ducks now i look for a boat ramp i'm like can i get the boat down there or not <laughs> can i get the boat in i'm not yeah I, I, i'm not gonna say that i that it's making me soft but it's just making me you know it's making me want to hunt out of it put all that work into it and you know we had we had decent hunting when you were there but you know after you left we really got into them and and uh, a buddy of mine said that I, I had kind of a proud daddy moment um, those last three days and we shot limits of greenheads for three days in a row it was it was awesome yeah nothing like it nothing like it you know it's it's that's waterfowl hunting right it's all be, being in the right place at the right time that's everything in it yeah right right place right time and you know and the, the stuff in between it's still great you know we may have not crushed limits limits of greenheads or shot limits of greenheads before you were there it was still a great time we still seen some pretty cool stuff and you know, anytime you get to hunt in a boat that's got a 22-inch Blackstone and uh, eat breakfast, <laughs> that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, man, I tell you, th- those pancakes were awesome that you had, you know, both days. Yeah, the, the pancakes. The pigs in a blanket, <laughs> they're not a bad thing. <laughs> you you have a favorite river hunt you can go back on and say, man, that was really special for whatever reason? I got two. One was from 2014, uh, me and my son. Who's now 23, going to be 24? We were we were hunting our way down to Arkansas for the World Championship, and we were hunting with Wayne and a few others. And we had a pot of ducks that were kind of isolated in a given spot of the river, and we weren't hunting the X. We were leaving them be and hunting the edges, and we were we were milking out you know you know a couple weeks worth of really good hunting, and then. The Thanksgiving, it was either Thanksgiving morning or the morning before we said as a group, we're like, all right, you know, we're all going to be gone. We're not coming back for a couple of weeks and the water's falling out. They're getting to winter levels up there. We said, Hey, let's go hunt them. So we went, we went out and we hunted, uh, we hunted the X and we call it 30, 30. We killed 30 greenheads in 30 minutes. Mm. It was, you know, uh, my little guy was you know, 13, I think at that time and he was shooting a little SX320 gauge. And normally being the little guy, you just kind of let them go. I remember having a shirt to tell him, I'm like, Ben, you've shot enough duck. It's, it's time for you to put your gun down and let the older guys, uh-huh. And, and uh, then, then another one that sticks in my head was, was uh, the year after the flood. And, and I'm going to butcher the years. It's like 11 or 12 somewhere. That was 2011. Yeah. That sounds right. So it would have been 11 or 12, like you said. And, and we were hunting, 
the near the hole that we hunted and it was one of those trips that we didn't we didn't kill anything and it was we didn't know if we were going to go my tilt trim wasn't working and we said let's go and we went out and uh we froze our butts off but we killed four limits and we finished bunches of you know 100 plus and that one really sticks in my head too and i got a couple ducks mounted from that one i'm just running the the scenario of ducks coming down i i, I got to see these mallards working those cornfields in south dakota it's, it's just it's hanging with me you know, yeah. they were just bombing out the sky in big numbers. And it just, man, when you're underneath that as a waterfowl hunter, those memories are, you know, last a lifetime. They do, man. I, I, I you know, the, it's, it's like, so you, you go hunting and it doesn't matter if you're in Arkansas, uh, if, if you're in Missouri, you're in Minnesota, you're in South Dakota, North Dakota, you don't always get them. And, and in fact, right. you probably get them less times than, than you do get them. But those days where they're special, that's what keeps you going. If you have 10 bad ones in a row, those days just, they, they stick in your head and, and they keep you keep you on it and keep you getting after yeah, it. that's it. Because you're one day closer to that day. Every time you go out yeah. the door and I tell people, man, you just got to get out there. You got to go. Yeah. And do you it. You just, you know what, that, that cliche saying that you came up with, you know, <laughs> however many years ago. Right. It, it's just not go, a, baby. It's a cliche. Just go, man. You got to just go. You you. You can't kill them sitting at home on the couch, and you don't get to see a show sitting at home on the couch. It's true, you know, man. it's uh, mm. it, it, it's nature's paradise, man. And it's being November, man. I'm fired up right now. I just want to throw on some waders and run out the door. That's right. That's right, man. Uh, you know, like this weekend. You know, th- this weekend's a prime example of just go. If you look at the forecast, it's not it's not anything to get yeah, excited about. Yeah, it doesn't look about. really ideal. Nothing like what we had you know, just a couple weeks ago. No, heck no. But you know what? We're gonna go. We're gonna go fire up the Blackstone. We're, we'll probably shoot some gadwalls and 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 maybe a mallard or two, and maybe we'll get them. Maybe we won't, but we're gonna go no matter what. That's right, brother. It's all it's all good, man. I can't thank you enough, Mike, for for joining me on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me on. I can sit and talk duck calling and duck hunting anytime. <laughs> no kidding. I can sit here and do this entire day. That's that's no problem at all. Like we said, you know, we're we're hunting the boat. It's like you kind of got a dream job, man. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm not going to complain, Mike. I'm going to tell you. No, um, no, no uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, nobody would complain in my position if you're if you're a waterfowl junkie. That's for sure. But uh, anyway, well, thanks again, Mike. And uh, man, looking forward to seeing you again in the future. That's right. I'd like to thank our audience and thank everybody out there for supporting Ducks Unlimited and wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 